Hi, I'm Suri Rudolph Sugarman. Thank you so much for coming. I want to welcome those of you who have been coming year after year and also all the new faces um, who are here for the first time. Um, I'm particularly delighted to be able to uh, be welcoming you here at KJ because this is my community, this is my shul, this is where I daven, this is where I learn. Um, and Drisha, I've been learning at Drisha for probably 40 years on and off. So uh, having this Drisha lecture here at KJ kind of brings together both my, my two spiritual and, and religious worlds. Um, and thank you, Rabbi Steinmetz and KJ, for allowing us to have the lecture here. Um, the lecture is in memory of my father, Stanley Rudolph, uh, Shmuel ben Raphael. It's the 28th year, his 28th year at site. Um, and as those of you who have been here before have heard me say many times um, that even though my father passed away in Tammuz and his yurt site is Kafka Tammuz, we chose to endow this lecture series on the Yamim Noraim because on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, my father was Balkore, Baltokea, Baltfila, all of the above. Um, he was very uh, dedicated to the to the davening and the laning and the shofar blowing on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and so we felt it most appropriate to bring you this lecture series at this time of the year. Um, this year we are privileged to welcome Rabbi Shlomo Zubir. Um, I'm meeting him tonight for the first time, but I will tell you that um, he is a PhD candidate in ancient Judaism at Yale University and a member of Yeshiva University's Kolel Elyon. He's also a founder of something called Lairhouse, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, according to their mission statement, Lairhouse is a forum to generate thoughtful and dynamic discourse among individuals within the Orthodox community and beyond who enjoy exploring the depth and diversity of Jewish ideas. It provides rigorous content and encourages vibrant discussion. It harnesses the power of the digital age to reinvigorate and perpetuate the great Jewish conversations of our times. Um, Rabbi Zuckier also served as director of the OU's uh, JLIC, Jewish Learning Initiative on campus at Yale University. He spent several years learning at Yeshivat Haaretzion, has his BA, um, Master's and Smicha from Yeshiva University, a Wexner Fellow, a Tikva Fellow, and I could go on. Um, but most important, we'll get to the topic of the evening, um, which is about Ni'ila, ends and beginnings, and I really look forward to tonight's presentation. So thank you very much. Good evening, everyone. So I thought maybe we'd start with uh, something a little bit interactive. And first, I should say uh, thank you to Suri Rudolph Sugarman and the entire uh, Rudolph family, those who are here and those who aren't here, uh, for, for organizing this, and, and to KJ and Drisha as well. Um, I, I do a lot of thinking about Yom Kippur. My, uh, my dissertation is about, deals with kapara, deals with atonement and sacrifice. So Yom Kippur really occupies my mind uh, a lot of the time, and, and it's wonderful to have this opportunity to think to think together and learn a little bit together uh, right before Yom Kippur, and uh, specifically to think about Ni'ila. Now, uh, Ni'ila sometimes gets short shrift. It's at the end of the day, you know, you, you come in, you're, you're excited about Kol Nidre in the morning, you're excited about, about Shachris, and then the Musaf is very extensive. Ni'ila is almost at the end. Sometimes it can get, get a bit lost, so this is a chance to maybe uh, think about it for a couple of minutes. So if I were just to, to throw out there, what, um, you know, what is Ni'ila? How would you characterize Ni'ila? What, uh, what special features does it have? What does it stand for? Last 
last chance, right? Great, and I, I think there's some, some nods uh, in agreement. Right, Neil, it's all the way at the end. You're sort of trying to, to catch that last, that last chance, that last opportunity to, to daven, to offer, to offer prayers on Yom Kippur. Um, what else? What else can people, what else can everyone add? Yes? In Willow Park, um, and Hassan that um, that leads this part of the service brings everyone to tears. Um, and I, I I can't explain what that experience is like because it's so incredibly deep. And I think it's almost like it's the last chance where it's the departing moment of being very close to Hashem. Okay, that's great. That's really beautiful, right? The fact that it's at the end. There's almost so much pressure on it, but you've, maybe you've had a, a period of growth. You've been able, over the course of Yom Kippur, to, uh, to, 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 you know, to daven a lot, to, to grow spiritually, and now you're closer to Hashem, and it can be very emotional. Great. Other thoughts? Additional thoughts? Fresh start. Fresh start. Okay, how so? Okay, great. Hold that thought. I think uh, you know, both the idea of Nihil as an end and as a beginning are things we're going to be talking about. So I'm happy. I'm happy. Uh, you've already, uh, you know, the crowd has already raised both of those aspects. Uh, and in terms of the content, what 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 characterizes the content of Neila that's similar to or different than the rest of the the tefilos, the prayers of Yom Kippur? Uh, shorter slichos. Okay. Some uh, some some shuls do slichos for all of the uh, davening. Some do only for a couple. Right. Shorter shorter alchets. Right. Um, rather than katab, right? We instead of saying kasvenu we ask Hashem to write us in the book of life. We ask Hashem to seal us in the book of life. Okay, that's that's another very important point because it's the end, right? We're we're, we're closing out. We're sealing. Uh, we're we're sealing ourselves hopefully into the book of life. Yes. Right, right, great, and that's that's a theme of Yom Kippur in general, right? For example, the Baruch Shem, Kavod Malchudol Yilam Ba'ed in the Shema, but also I, I I agree with you, especially at Neila, you built up to it. It's it's the end. Everyone is trying to get in, get in that last chance. Um, so yes. Great, yeah, that's a very evocative symbol, right? Uh, uh, right, the, we, we, we ask, right, exactly, right? We ask God to collect our tears in, in his little jar, right? Very powerful uh, theme there. Yes?
But I hope you would agree it's the last chance on Yom Kippur, on this Yom Kippur. I think that's fair. That's hopefully a fair. Right. But of course, right, of course, this isn't meant to, to, to assert that after Yom Kippur there's no chance for tshuva. Certainly there's tshuva all year. Uh, I think the Rambam says tshuva is always a mitzvah. There's always an opportunity, as you said. But it's especially pertinent. It's this thing we focus on during the Yamim Noreim, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So within that time frame, it's the last chance. But that's not to say that there won't be more opportunities going forward. Yes. Ah, very interesting. Okay, hold that thought as well. Um, so thank you all for the various thoughts and perspectives. I think they're all part of the story, and, and together they, they really characterize a lot of what of what uh, Ne'ilah is about. We're going to now spend the next few minutes looking at a variety of sources, starting in the Gemara, both the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, both Talmuds, and then looking at, at some Rishonim, medieval commentaries and codes, and try to understand what exactly is Ne'ilah, what does it consist of, we may know some of the answer to that, but maybe some things we don't know. And when is Ne'ilah? When precisely is Ne'ilah? Because I think what several people said, it's your last chance on Yom Kippur, but that might not be so simple. So we'll hold, we'll hold all, all of those thoughts, everything everyone shared, and let's, let's dive into the sources. We have them uh, both in the original Aramaic or Hebrew and in English translation. I'll read and translate, but you can follow in either the uh, Hebrew Aramaic or the English. So our, our primary source, our first source here, it comes from the Gemara Bavli, the Talmud Bavli in Masechah's Yom, the tractate about Yom Kippur, uh, and it discusses the, the prayers of Ne'ilah. Tanan hasam, b'shlosha prakim b'shana, kohanim nosim es kapeim, arba panim ve'amim bayom. There are three different scenarios where the kohanim, the priests, do the, do the duchening, do the birkas kohanim uh, four times a day. Nowadays, uh, outside of Israel, generally we don't see it during any, you know, zero times a day on the average day. On Yantif, you do it once a day. But there was a time and a scenario where you would do it four times on a single day. Three scenarios, really. B'shachris, b'musaf, b'mincha, u'v'ni'ilah, sha'arim. On, on uh, scenarios where you do it both at shachris, uh, musaf, mincha, and then at ni'ilah or ni'ilah, sha'arim, which literally means the locking of the gates or the closing of the gates. V'elohim, shlosha, prakim. These are the three scenarios. Nisanios, public fasts. Uven ma'amados, that's uh, opportunities where a bunch of, uh, a group of people would, would join together in the shul and have a special laning, and to do that corresponding to the karbanos in the Vesa Mikdash. Uven Yom most pertinent to us, Yom Kippur is one of these days that because it has this extra prayer of Ne'ilah, there are four opportunities for the Kohanim to duchin. This sounds a little tangential right now, but we'll see. It'll end up being uh, very important for figuring out the question of when exactly Ni'ilah takes place. So, fine, so much for that. We know about this idea of Ni'ilah. Ni'ilah doesn't only happen on Yom Kippur, at least historically, Ni'ilah would happen at every public fast. There would be additional prayers, there would be a Ni'ilah prayer in addition to the usual prayers, and it would happen on Ma'amados. Neither of these are applicable nowadays, but at least on the books, there are other scenarios where there's Ni'ilah. It's not only Yom Kippur. All we have now is Ni'ilah on Yom Kippur. But what exactly is this? My ni'ilas sha'arim. What is this closing or locking of the gates? What does it consist of? So Rav Amar, 
Rav says it's an extra prayer, an extra full prayer, Shmonesrei, just like Mincha, more or less a second Mincha. Ushmuel Amar, Ma'anu Mechayenu. Does that phrase remind anyone of anything? Ma'anu Mechayenu? Right? Sorry? It's part of the Ne'ilah. We incorporate it into the Ne'ilah, but according to Shmuel, that statement, Ma'anu Mechayenu, what are we, what are our lives? Ma'asidkosenu, Ma'ashuasenu, what's our salvation? Ma'anu Ma'alafanecha Yashem Okay, okay, what should we say before you, God? It's a specific prayer, not a Shmonesrei, not an Amida, not a Holtzvila, this short prayer that you would stick in at the end of the day. That's Shmuel's view. We don't follow that view. We do incorporate that prayer, but we, we Paskin, we rule like Rav, that it's a whole other Shmonesrei, as, as uh, anyone who's, who's prayed Ne'ilah would know. The Gemara tries to prove this point one way or the other. Mesve or Yom Kippurim, Mispalo Shevo Misvade, Bishakhisal Shevo Misvade, Bimusuf Mispalo Shevo Misvade, Bimincha Mispalo Shevo Misvade, Bineila Mispalo Shevo Misvade. It brings a source that says, and Ne'ilah, there is Sheva, there are seven blessings, there's a Shmon Esrei, and you do Vidui as part of it. That seems to support Rav. And then there's another source that also is brought to support Rav, and we say, Tiyufta the Shmuel, Tiyufta. We've disproven Shmuel, and that's why, because of this Gemara, that's why Ne'ilah is not a two-minute short prayer, but it's a whole Shmon Esrei. It's an entire hour, hour and a half, depends where you are. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to set expectations for people to be diving in different places here or elsewhere. Uh, but it, it's a whole, it's an entire prayer. It's significantly longer than that. Um, and uh, th- there are various stories the Gemara tells here about people who would do, who would, who would uh, 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 you know, lead the Ne'ilah prayer and offer a whole tefillah, and that was good, and that again proves the point. We'll jump now to the end of this source, the last, the last two and a half lines. Amar Rav. Rav says, and uh, this may or may not be something you've heard before, tefillah's Ne'ilah, Poteres es shel arvis. If you daven ne'ilah, if you say ne'ilah on Yom Kippur, at the end of Yom Kippur, that exempts you from davening mariv that night. You don't need to daven mariv. Just imagine what this would look like in shul, right? There would be, you go from the ilah straight home to your breakfast, maybe have havdalah first, I don't know. But there would be no need, there would be no need to, uh, to daven mariv, right? As it is, I've never clocked it, but my guess is it's the fastest mariv of the year. I don't know, you tell me, but uh, people want to get to the, to the breakfast, they want to get home, but Rav has a better solution. You don't need to rush through Mariv. You daven the ilah, you're good. You've done your, you've done your prayer uh, for the evening, and you're exempt from, from Mariv. Does anyone have a question or a problem with that? When do we daven Mariv usually? We daven after, but what time of day do we daven Mariv? Right, at night, at night time. And when do we daven the ilah? It's supposed to be before night, because which day does Ne'ilah go with? I thought. It's part of Yom Kippur. When does Mariv, the night after Yom Kippur, go with? The 11th of Tishrei, the next day. So how does this work? Rav, what, what does this mean? And if you look at Rashi, um, I included a few Rashis, the second, uh, the second to last Rashi on page 2, Rashi says, V'kevan uh, well, we'll see it in the corner in a second, but he says, Mishach HaSheicha, after it's dark. Rashi clarifies, you're davening Ne'ilah, after it's dark, that's how it counts for Marv, right? Because you daven Marv after it's dark at nighttime. You daven Ne'ilah after it's dark at nighttime. So the Ne'ilah counts for the next day. What's a bit surprising about that? Sorry? Okay, so that's one problem we still haven't really solved. How can it be party on Kippur if it's at night? You'd think if it's at night, it should be the next day's prayer. And also, 
compared to our experiences? What's the question? What question can we ask? Sorry? Mariv, right? We do Mariv. We don't, we don't seem to follow this. That's true. But also, when do we start Ni'ilah? When are we in the process of actually finishing, um, not, not just the holiday, but the actual Ni'ilah itself? Like, what are we Okay, that's another question, right? Are, like, well, are we done with Yom Kippur already? We don't need Ni'ilah? But I think, I'm guessing, I'm pretty sure KJ does this, and I'm pretty sure just about every other shul does this. Ni'ilah starts before it starts. It's a daytime prayer. It's at the end of the day, but it's a daytime prayer. That's certainly what we do. So how is Rav saying that it can exempt Marv? So let's keep reading. Rav Latame. So Rav agrees with, a, uh, he's supporting, he's consistent with a point he said previously. To Amar, Slosa Yaserahi. He says it's an extra prayer, meaning, right, we saw Rav earlier in this passage, says that uh, Ni'ila isn't just a short, you know, two-line statement. It's an entire Shemot Esra. It's an entire prayer. So he obviously needs to believe that in order for this to work, right? If Rav had held like Shmuel, then Ne'ilah is just manu mechayenu, a, a one-liner, that wouldn't count, that obviously wouldn't exempt you from Marv. But since Rav thinks it's an entire prayer, maybe that works. So let's see if it came on the tzalilei, since you offer this prayer at night, Rashi adds, sulo you're done. You had your nighttime prayer, and you don't need anything else. So again, we have this problem, really two problems. Um, number one, since when do we dive in Ne'ilah at night? I thought Ne'ilah was during the day. Starts at the end of the day, I thought. And number two, how can a, how can a prayer count both for Yom Kippur? Ne'ilah is one of the five tefillahs of Yom Kippur. That's what this Gemara just said, right? On the day of Yom Kippur, you have this extra tefillah. You have duchening at Ne'ilah, which is part of Yom Kippur. How can it both be part of Yom Kippur and count as Mariv for the next day? So we're going to try to explore those questions. Um, uh, one, one final point here in the Gemara. Rav Hachi, did Rav really say this? Rav. So the Gemara says, maybe this, this whole story, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's not, it's not what it seems. Maybe Rav, Gemara seems to know from elsewhere, Rav believes that Arvis, Marv, is a Rishus, is optional. Right? You don't need a Davin Marv. It's a, it's a choice, a personal choice. If you want a Davin Marv, good. If not, not. Contemporary practice uh, since the time of the Rishonim is, uh, we, we've, you know, the Jewish people has accepted to Davin Marv, uh, as, uh, as a commitment rather than an option. But Rob's opinion was that it's, uh, it's a rishus, it's optional. So maybe that's why he's saying you don't, you don't, need, ma- you don't need marv, right? Because you never really need a dub marv. It's always an option. And the Gemara answers, No, Rob is saying not only according to me that I don't think you ever need a dub and marv as an obligation. It's just, a, it's just an option. Even according to the other opinion that arvis is a chova, it's obligatory to dub and marv, you still exempt your Marv obligation with Ne'ilah. So again, we're stuck with this problem. How can it be that Ne'ilah counts both for Yom Kippur davening and for the day after Yom Kippur? And, at least the way Rashi explains it, Ne'ilah is at night. I thought Ne'ilah was during the day. So the rest of this year is going to address those questions and hopefully give us a better appreciation of how Ne'ilah works and what it stands for. So I just think Ne'ilah should Okay, great idea. Great, that's a very nice idea. Um, hold the thought. We're gonna we're gonna try to, to get at this through through more uh, more sources and more uh, figure out more information first. But I think we may end up going in a similar direction. So thank you. Um, yeah. Well, 
those parameters. You, you, don't, you don't have the purpose of Shema and then Shema and Shema and Esrael. Well, you just say Shema Israel at the end of the Right. So, right. So, the, in terms of the parameters, that question overall, the Yerushalmi, we're going to see in a minute, we'll get to some of those. In terms of Shema, you can do Shema yourself later. So, you, we're only talking about exempting the Shema Nesri part, not the Shema and Brachas. You can, you can technically, you can separate those, although they usually go together. Presumably, this is talking about uh, just the Shema Nesri part, and you then say Shema later. But yeah, great question. So, let's look now at the Yerushalmi, source number three. The Yerushalmi actually was redacted earlier than the Bavli, so we're moving back in time. But... Uh, I think it, it actually fleshes out further some of the questions that we have when we first encounter the Bavli. So source number three on page two, again, both in the Aramaic slash Hebrew and the English. And uh, this, the Yerushalmi will really get into the details of when is Ne'ilah, which, which seems to be at the crux of our problem. Right, when exactly is Ne'ilah? So that's how it starts, the source here. Emasai Ne'ilah, hu Ne'ilah. When is Ne'ilah? Rabbanan de Kisrin Amrin, the rabbis of Caesarea said, is Paul ben Rav and There's a dispute between Rav and Rav Yochan. Rav Amar ben Ilas Share Shamayim. And we're not just talking about when it is, we're talking about what it means, what Ne'ilah means. Ne'ilah means the closing of the gates. Which gates? So Rav says it's the closing of the gates of heaven. What does that mean? Someone, I think there's two possible explanations what that could mean. Closing of the gates of heaven. Any suggestions? What does that mean? Hmm? No more prayers. Yom Kippur is done. It's your last chance to get in your Yom Kippur prayers, and, the, and it's going to close. So I think that's probably what most people understand it to mean, but I'm not sure what that, that's what this Yerushalmi understands it to mean. What, what would it mean that the uh, gates of heaven close? What might that correlate with? <laughs> what might that correlate with? We're going to get to the Mikdash in a second. That's the other opinion. But if you think about it, you have what happens at, at the end of the day. The sun sort of goes in, enters. I mean, we think of it as the earth rotating the sun. That's not necessarily how it was conceptualized then. The sun retreats behind, behind the horizon, and it gets sort of locked up for the night. And then, just like you lock up your city for the night, you lock your house for the night, so the sun's very precious, and uh, Hashem locks up the sun for the night. And then it's released again the next day. That at least is one way of conceptualizing how, how the sun works. Again, you know, not necessarily correlating to contemporary physics, but that seems to be what Ne'ilah Shari Shemayim, the skies, the heavens get locked up as the sun goes away. Now, at what stage is it locked? Is it locked when the sun, at sunset? Is it locked once the sun, you know, it's totally dark? It's sort of a little, a little flexible. It's not fully clear. And we'll see that will be litigated among the various medieval commentaries. But that's Rob's opinion. Rob's opinion, Ne'ilah, refers to the time of, of the uh, closing of heaven, which at least on a, uh, in terms of the meaning, it seems to refer to nighttime. When it, when it becomes night, that's the time of Ne'ilah. V'Rabbi Yochanan Amar, the other opinion, V'Ne'ilas Share Hecho. The closing or the locking of the gates of, of the Hecho, of the, of, the, uh, of the temple, the temple sanctuary. Every night, at some point, maybe slightly before uh, nightfall, they would lock the gates of the of the mikdash of the heichal, like you'd lock any other uh, building, and there's a mitzvah to guard the, the mikdash to guard the temple. So that's what it's referring to. So these are slightly different times. Remember, this is answering the question when is neila. Slightly different times, but it's also answering the question of what does neila mean? What does it correlate to? Is it referring to the end of the day? And maybe, as was suggested, maybe that also means at some level the end of your chance to get in Yom Kippur. 
prayers or the end of your Yamim no Raim season, or does it correlate to the closing of the gates of the temple? Those are the two uh, opinions here. And then uh, the, the Rishami cites the uh, Brisa, similar to what we just saw in the in the Bavli. Amar of Yudan on Turdia, Mastisim, Messiah, the Rabbi Yochanan, Megimel, Prakim, Akohanim, Nozim, is Kapeim, Dalapam, and Bayom. It refers to the the three times that the Gohanim would, would duch in four times a day. Shachar's Musaf, Minchun, Ila, Minias, Sha'arim, Bitanios, Mamados, Uviom Kippurim, Islach, Memar, Nihilas, Shari, Shamayim, Bayom. So it talks, the question is, how can you talk about uh, how can you talk about Ni'ilas, Shari Shamayim, if it's daytime? So according to Rabbi Yochanan, it's when the temple closed. The temple would close slightly before nightfall. Rav said it's at nightfall. So the question is, remember our source that said you can in four times a day on Yom Kippur, one of which is Ni'ilah. If Ni'ilah is after nightfall, or at the time of nightfall, then it's not really on Yom Kippur anymore. So that, the, the proof that the Gemara brings is precisely from the fact that if Ni'ilah happens after nightfall, Yom Kippur is over. That shouldn't count towards Yom Kippur. So this really strengthens the question we had. If you think Yom Kippur really is part of night after nightfall, as we saw in Rashi, and that's how it counts for Mariv, then doesn't it, how is it part of Yom Kippur anymore, right? Ni'ilah at night shouldn't be part of Yom Kippur. It sounds like we said that uh, right here. Let's keep going. We're going to get more, more precise accounts of when to start Ni'ilah. We'll see the, they didn't necessarily uh, have precise timekeeping devices, or they couldn't, they didn't talk about uh, degrees of where the sun is, they'll give slightly different accounts. So, uh, story that uh, Rav's, uh, Rav's nephew, sorry, Rav's uh, uncle, would, uh, would take off his cloak, or maybe his talis, um, in, in the afternoon of Yom Kippur, and Amar, he said, when the, the sun is passing over the trees, meaning, think the sun is going towards setting, and, you know, when you can see, you look up at the trees, you see the sun right, right behind those trees, and that's, that's the time of day when you should give me back my talis, and then I'll lead Ni'ila. So that's some point towards the end of the day. We don't, we don't get a precise time, but let's say that's half an hour before sundown, something like that, give or take. Um, when the sun is passing over the palm trees. Uh, that wouldn't work well in New York City as a time. Uh, we're a little bereft of palm trees in this part of the world. Um, so, and, and then it, it raises a contradiction with something that, that Rob said, but this is an important, this is an important line. This is really accepted. This is cited in various sources as the time for Ni'ilah is when the sun is passing over the palm trees. And of course, that's during the daytime, right? It's still, the sun is still up. It's towards the end of the day, but this is uh, during the daytime. Um, jump now to the sixth line uh, and six words in, and this will be parallel to what we saw in the Bavli. It says, Ni'ila mahu sheti pater es shel Arab. What, what is the possibility, again, of Ni'ila counting for Marib? And it raises different positions. Rav Abba, Rav Huna, B'Shem Rav, Ni'ila poter es shel Arab. They think, uh, Rav, again, the cited as saying it can, and now we have a couple of problems. Right, this is similar to, to the question that's a, a technical question. How can you daven, how can you have Ni'ilah count for Mariv? When are you going to say Havdalah in Mariv? Usually we have Havdalah in Mariv, uh, Saturday night, in Yom Kippur, in what, what uh, prayer? 
right? You stick it in in the fourth bracha. How do you do that if you're davening the ilah? There's no bracha of atachonein to stick it in. That's one question. Amr of Yonah, the Rabbi Abba, sheva poteres The ilah is how many brachos? Seven. Mariv usually is how many brachos? Nineteen or eighteen before they added one. But either way, seven is not the same as nineteen. So how can Mariv, how can Mariv be accounted for if you only said seven brachos? And uh, there's a little discussion about one of those questions is a good question, one of those is not a good question. What does the Gemara not ask? It's not asking, wait a second, is this a Yom Kippur davening or is this a post-Yom Kippur davening? Which day is it? It's not even asking those questions. It seems like there's a different understanding of Ni'ilah that somehow is able to avoid those questions. So we have to really think closely about how to resolve that, which we'll, we'll hopefully get to in a few minutes. Um, yeah, let's jump now to the last four lines of this source. Uh, Tanya Tama. It was taught there in the land of Israel, in, in the in Bavel, rather. Tfilas Ha'erev, Mahu. What is this? What is Mariv? What's the story with Mariv? Rabbi Gamliel Omer Chova, Rabbi Yoshua Omer This is the dispute that was referenced before, whether Mariv in general is obligatory or optional. Uh, and Amar uh, So the Yushomi makes a suggestion as we had in the Bavli, that maybe the people who think that Ni'ilah counts for Mariv don't really think you ever need to daven Mariv. That's the suggestion they make. In the Bavli, that was rejected. The Bavli, we said, no, even if you think you need Mariv generally, Ni'ilah could still count for it. But that's that's the suggestion they made here. Umasa b'talmud echad sheba v'shal shrevi yeshua t'kilasa erev mahu amalei rishus b'vashal shrevi yeshua t'kilasa erev mahu amalei chova. So it leaves it sort of open as to whether, in the Yerushalmi at least, as to whether there really is a position that says that if you daven ni'ilah, you don't need mariv. In the Yerushalmi, it's, it's a question. In the Bavli, it's clear. If you daven ni'ilah, you, uh, you can be exempt from mariv according to Rav. So let's, what do we have so far? Let's take a step back. A lot going on in, in these two Gemaras. There's a, a lot of material there. But what do we have in terms of our material? When should one daven ni'ilah? About a half hour before when the sun's over the palm trees. Um, what does ni'ilah mean? What's locking up the doors of which doors? The sun, locking of heaven, meaning the sun going down, what time would that be? Sundown about? So that's that's a different time, right? Okay. And what about locking of the temple gates? That's that's probably a bit earlier. Maybe that's around the same time as as the sun over the palm tree. So there seems to be two different two different times for starting Nila, two different views. Do you start Nila a bit before sundown? Maybe half hour, maybe an hour before sundown. Do you start Nila as the sun is going down? It sounds like that's an, that's one of the opinions here. And then the other question we had is, can Ni'ilah count for Mariv? And Rob's opinion is that it can. And not because you never have an obligation to daven Mariv, it seems, according to the Babli. Rob says, no, even if you think it's obligatory to daven Mariv every day, like like our practice, uh, like the standard practice uh, uh, in contemporary uh, Judaism, even if you think you need to daven Mariv every day, uh, Ni'ilah still counts for that. Now, our shuls don't do that, and that we rule against that, as we'll see, but we're trying to understand where Rob gets this opinion from, and really, when exactly is Ni'ilah? And one, one final thing, one final point, we had a dispute as to what Ni'ilah was. Is Ni'ilah an entire Shmonesrei, an entire Amida, a whole davening, or is it just this short prayer, Ma'anu Mechayenu? And it seems like the overwhelming evidence is that it's an entire prayer. 
maybe even such a lengthy prayer that it can count for Mariv, another, another full prayer, even though Mariv is 18 or 19 brachos rather than 7. So that's what we have so far. And if it seems like there's a couple of different views, a couple of different positions that hasn't been worked out, that's because the, the material is somewhat mixed. And we'll see the Rishonim dispute what exactly to conclude from, from these sources. So I saw there were a couple of hands. Yeah? Conceptually, the conclusion of the pleading and response is associated with Yom Kippur. Is that with the end of Yom Kippur? Is that what it's all about? The pleading? You mean... The completion of the pleading that we plead to Hashem and He to draw our prayer. What is that? That seems to be Ne'ila. That seems to be the focus. I mean, all of Yom Kippur is a time for pleading and, and praying, but Ne'ila seems to be where it's really focused. And then the question is, when exactly is Ne'ila? We have this shifting target. Is it before sundown? Is it, does it start at sundown? And we'll see, there'll be a couple of other views on this as well. All right, so let's jump in to some of these uh, uh, Rishonim and, uh, and Sifrei Lacha, these uh, medieval commentaries and codes. Um, so we'll start with the Rif. Uh, uh, Rif was probably the first code of the codification of the Bavli. He took the Bavli, he kept the parts that were accepted as halakha, and he did not include in his work the parts that were not. He sorted out some, some uh, complicated cases. So let's take a look at how he treats our, our material. He starts off by quoting a lot of it. He quotes the teaching about about uh, how there's there you could the Kohanim Duchen four times uh, on Yom Kippur, including at Ne'ilah. Then midway through the second line, my Ne'ilah Sha'arim. What is this idea of Ne'ilah Sha'arim, the, the sealing, the closing of gates? Rav Amartzlosi Yisersa. Rav says it's an extra prayer. Shmuel Amarmanu Mechayenu. Ve'Hilvasakirav. We rule like Rav that it's an entire prayer, a whole Shmuel Nesrei, and he brings the proofs from the Gemara to that. Um. And then, on the second to last line, towards the beginning, he notes, Amar Rav, Tfilas Ne'ila Poteres Shel Arvis. According to Rav, Ne'ila can exempt Mariv, can, can, you don't need a Dav in Mariv. Rav the Tamei, Damar Tzlosi Yisir, Sahi, became the Tzali Sulo Tzarech. So that's Rav's opinion. Ve'a'idna nagu alma, v'tzluye Tfilas Arvis, achar Ne'ila. Nowadays, even though it sounds like, according to the writ, Rav is actually the correct position, Really, in theory, one could follow Rav. One could accept Rav's opinion that you don't need a Davin Mari after having Davin Nehila. But nowadays, the practice, the common practice, the minhag, is to Davin Mari anyways after Nehila. Right? And of course, this is what we, uh, those of us who've been in shul for Nehila know that after Nehila, go into Buhurachum. There's always the joke, I just did all this tshuva. I should have gotten atonement. And then the next thing we say, we start Mari, Buhurachum, Yichaperavon. That the merciful one should should atone for our sins. Should uh, and you know what sins could there be? I spent the whole Yom Kippur, and there the joke. If you say a little lashon hara between before it starts, we're not gonna we're not gonna repeat all of those. But uh, the point is, our minhag, our practice is the Davin Mariv against Rav. Rav thinks you don't have to, and and that the Rif codifies. But the the Rif, um, yes. So uh, so we'll now look at the Ron, one of the commentaries on the Rif, who's gonna clarify uh, some points about, about the position and then argue with them. So source number five now, towards the top of the fourth page. The heavy Odea, Sheyesh Misha Posek Kishmuel. You should know, there's some who rule like Shmuel, not like, not like Rav. The Chen Kasev Rav, Ram Mi Rottenberg, 
Maharami Runberg ruled like this. Feherachti was Ebbe Chidushai. Speak of this more at length. And the, the, the Ran had two works on most tractates a commentary on the Rip and a commentary on the Gemara. So he says he talks about it more in his commentary on the Gemara. Ula Now we're going to get to the timing of it. According, according to this position, it's necessary to daven the entirety of Ni'ilah by day. Now, no one until this point had clarified when Ni'ilah ends. Right? We have people talking about when it starts. It starts when, when the, the gates of the temple are closing, when the gates of heaven are closing, when the sun is over the trees. But no one had said when it has to end by. But the Ran introduces the position from the Ran May Rittenberg that it needs to end before the day is over, fully by day. Presumably this means before sundown. Sundown, usually we understand it moves to the next day, so you have to finish Ni'ilah by sundown. Um, I'm not going to do a poll, but I don't know of any, any shul in the U.S. that ends Ni'ilah before Mariv. But Israel is a little different. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this is the position of the Marami Rutenberg. You have to finish the Ela fully during the day. But but it sounds from the the Rif that he, he rules like Rav. Rav, that you can daven, that if you daven the Ela, what are you exempt from? Marid. That only makes sense, as Rashi pointed out, if you're davening the Ela at night. At least partially, right? At least part part of the Nihila has to be by night. The Ran the Ran says maybe even more than partially, and that seems to be the risk position against the Maharami Rutenberg. So we have two different positions here, two different medieval positions. Nihila has to end while it's still daytime, or Nihila generally, maybe even ideally, extends into the night, or maybe even starts at the night. Right? If you have take the position Nihila is about the the closing of the gates of heaven, then maybe it's supposed to start. At night, maybe that's what the riff is referring to as well. Certainly, for us, even even taking the riff into account that it should extend into the night, since we have such extended and extended prayer of Ne'ilah with with all sorts of uh, requests for for mercy and, and a long tefillah, you can start when the sun is going over the over the palm trees. You don't need to start at nightfall. You can start half hour or so before nightfall and extend it into the night, and that still works. Rav would be happy that it extends into the night, even if it didn't start at night. That's the Ran's almost compromise. It doesn't all need to be done by day, like the Maharam. It doesn't need to start at night, like one might read the Gemara, like one might read the Rith. It should maybe start during the day and extend into the night. Amar Rav, he keeps going. Tefilas ne'ilah boteres shel arvis. It's clear, as he had just indicated, Rav holds that Ne'ila is supposed to be at night. Since you daven at night, you don't need to daven again, as we explained uh, the, the, uh, this understanding of Ne'ila until now. So we have, we have these two views. Is Ne'ila a daytime prayer or a nighttime prayer? And then the Ron's compromise it should start by day and extend into the night. This dispute will propagate itself, not only in, in these sources, but among the Rambam and the Tur and the Shulchan Aruch, the other uh, very central codes of Jewish law as well. So let's just trace that dispute. Uh, before we try to resolve everything, before we try to uh, come up with grand theories, 
let's, let's see exactly uh, the range of positions and, and the trajectory uh, the trajectory here. So source number six, this is the Rambam, famous Maimonides, Hilchos Tefillah, Laws of Prayer, V'chein Tiknu Tefillah, Achar Tefillah, Mincha Samuch, L'shkiyas Hachama, B'yom Hatan Isbilvad. A special prayer just for fast days, that is Samuch L'shkiyas Hachama, around the time of sundown. So that sounds a lot like, probably when he says around sundown, he probably means a bit before, most likely, but a little bit, at least a little bit before sundown, you should start during the day. To add additional requests and prayers because of the fast. Right? Fast days are a special time for prayer. That's why you, you do the fast to focus more on prayer. And, and so the Ramam suggests, uh, the Ramam suggests an explanation for why we have in the Elon fast days. Uh, the tfilas, uh, uh, yes. This is the prayer called Ni'ilah, which means what? Klomar ninalu share shamayin. Be'ad Hashemesh, and this goes to the explanation we were saying before. The, the gates of heaven have closed on account of the sun, or, or closed in front of the sun, right? And notice he uses the past tense, ninalu. The gates have closed. They're already, they're closed. It's done. We're, we're at sundown. We're like really approaching just right about at sundown. As the gates have closed, the sun is, has, has entered its, uh, its storage unit for the night. Uh, and it's hidden. You can't see the sun anymore. You start so close to sundown, you basically can't see the sun when you daven ni'ila. So there's a bit of a tension here. Right? On the one hand, the Ramam says, that you daven ni'ila near sundown, which sounds like the sun is probably still up a little bit. There's a little bit of day left. But then he says, the sun is totally hidden. You can't see it anymore. That sounds like it's after sundown. There's a bit of a tension here, and we'll see. It'll be uh, we'll see how how people interpret this Rambam. Moving to the next source, another Rambam, a couple of chapters later. Rambam just giving the basic times of prayer. The time for Mariv is from the beginning of the night until the uh, the sun, the first rays of sun come up in the morning. He doesn't spell this out right here, but generally one's supposed to get Marev in before midnight, before Chatzos. Utfilas Ne'ila, the time of Ne'ila, Zmana, Kedeshi Yashlimosa, Samuch Lishkiyas Achama. Just to complicate matters further, here the Ramam says you don't start Ne'ila when the sun's about to go down. You finish Ne'ila. You, you have to complete Ne'ila around the time of sundown. So it's really, it's not clear what to do with the Rambam, right? Are you davening all of the ilah when you can't see the sun? Are you finishing the ilah around sundown? Uh, or, or are you starting a bit before? It's really not clear what to do with the Rambam. The Rambam is very authoritative, one of the, one of the main uh, legal authorities. And, and we'll see how the later sources, the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch, try to grapple with this uh, and cite different parts of the Rambam to come to their uh, possible conclusions. Source number eight, the Torah. Tour, the, the uh, precursor to the Shulchan Aruch, he writes, Uzmana, the time of Ne'ila is Samuch Lishkiyas Hachama, that we saw in the Rambam. It's around the time of sundown. Kisha Hachama Berosha Ilanos, when the sun is in the head of the trees. Where does he get that from? The sun's above the trees. That's from the Yerushalmi, right? The sun's above the palm trees. Vyeshli Zaher, Shlo Ye'achur Lis Falel Osa Belaila. Should be very careful not 
to Davin Neila at night. But a little bit before sundown. Now we have a new end time. When should one finish the Elah? When the stars come out. How long is that after sundown? About 40 minutes, right? The way, at least the way we calculate it here in the United States. Um, right? Shabbos ends at sundown. Uh, Shabbos ends, you take sundown, you add about 40 minutes. That's when we presume the, the stars come out. And that's Tzesa uh, Kochavim. That's, uh, so what the tour does, it sounds like he's putting together the various pieces of the Rambam and, and throws in the Gemara as well. You start right before sundown. And he says, that's also what the Yerushalmi says, when the sun is above the trees. You have to make sure to start while it's still day. That's very important. You can't start at night. It has to be a daytime prayer. And you want to continue it until you want to finish right around Tzesa Kochavim. Now, what's that period? What, how will we characterize the period between sundown and the stars coming out? Right? At least on some opinions, this is complicated, but right? this very well may be which literally means between the suns, right? Or between the sunsets, maybe. Uh, because it's actually, there's a whole literature on this. When exactly is sunset? Or when is shkia, I should say? Generally, we understand shkia, the sunset, is when the sun goes below the horizon. That's usually the, the bottom, the top of the sun goes below the horizon, that's sunset. But there's a whole discussion uh, in terms of when Shkia is. If anyone's heard of the Zmane Rabbeinu Tam, right? Shabbos ends at Rabbeinu Tam uh, at, some, at some later point in time, that's based on the idea that, that when, when we talk about Shkia, when we talk about the sun setting, it really means some later point in time that may be closer uh, to when, when, when the stars come out. So you'd have to take all of that into account, but at least one way of understanding this is the period between Shkia and Seis, between sundown and the stars coming out, is a sort of twilight. Right? It's not quite day anymore. It's not quite fully night yet. It's not fully dark. You have a little bit of day. You have a little bit of night. It's that middle period. And that's the prime time for Ni'ila, according to the tour. So he's drawing from the Rambam. He's drawing from the Yerushalmi. But he introduces this new idea of going until Seis. And let's keep this in our mind as we try to understand how exactly Ni'ila works, that it's, it seems like it's meant to be, it's meant to be uh, on that border between, uh, between uh, day and night, during that twilight, the boundary period. And he now throws in, we'll now get back to Nasias Kapayim, to the priestly blessing, to Birkas Kohanim. Um, he adds, V'yachzor ha-shatz, ha-tfila vidui be-emtza tfila kmobashar tfilos, where we have vidui at Ni'ila, that, that uh, we probably remember. The Omer, Keser, Kohanimusa, we have Keser, you have the, the, long, the long Kedusha. The Nosim HaKohanim Kapehem. This is important because it will factor into a lot of, of uh, practical things. The Kohanim Duchin at Ne'ila. Vim Yeshehus Bayom, Omer Slichos. And do you say Slichos or not? It depends how much time there is. If you have time to finish by Tseis, then you say Slichos. If not, not. Um, so that's the tour. That's the tour's uh, interesting combination of, 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 of opinions that you really dive into Ila during that twilight period. The Shulchan Aruch largely adopts that, although it gets a little more complicated. Uh, source number nine. You want to finish. You want to, you want to start when the sun's by the trees to finish it around sundown. The Chazan should sort of cut out Part of the davening, if, if you're running behind on time, I don't know if I've ever seen that happen in practice in shul, but at least in theory, that's the, what the Shulchan Aruch says. 
Kol teva v'teva k'derek shemoshech v'sharet filos. You shouldn't draw out every word and, and have that same, the same dwelling on, on each passage, that same focus that you have in general when you daven. It's more rushed. And I think when we discussed before, what do people experience in the Elah? And several people said it's, it's the last chance you're trying to get everything in before Yom Kippur's over. And, you know, there's a lot of energy. And so I think you get a lot of that from the fact that the, the pace is significantly faster. And that comes from the Shulchan Aruch. That's not, uh, it's, it's supposed to be a faster pace. It's feel you're trying to get in as much as you can before, uh, before the day is over. In order that you finish before sundown. So now, what the Shulchan Aruch did, he basically took what the tour had said about going from a bit before sundown until Tseis, the Shulchan Aruch says, you don't go until Tseis, you don't go until the stars come out, you end by Shkia. So he just shortened the dominating significantly. The Shulchan Aruch says you have to get in all of the Elah while it's still day. And, and we saw that, we saw that idea in the Marame Rittenberg, and it was cited in the, in, in the Ran, in the source we saw before. So there's really a tension here, even between the Tour and the Shulchan Aruch. They generally agree on many, many things. This sounds like, assuming we're, 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 we're translating our terms correctly, and some people may quibble and say, uh, say Shkia means different things, but assuming we're, we're translating in this straightforward way properly, the Tour says Ne'ila is during twilight, and the, the Shulchan Aruch says Ne'ila is during the day, continuing that same dispute that we saw in the earlier sources. And uh, at the bottom of source 9, the Shulchan Aruch says, Nosim kapayim b'ne'ila. We duchen at ne'ila. Now, I don't know of any uh, American shul that duchens at ne'ila, but in Israel, the standard practice in many, many communities is to duchen at ne'ila. Uh, raise your hand if you recall having seen this, duchening at ne'ila in Israel. Wow, okay. Uh, okay, a couple a couple of hands. But uh, let's say when I was in Yeshivat Haaretzon in the Gush, that was standard practice every every year. We would, uh, the, you know, the Kohanim would duchen at, uh, at Ne'ila. And my understanding is it's, it's not uncommon. We'll see some sources that point to that as well. So it's going to get a little complicated, um, as we'll see in a moment, because when is one supposed to duchen? During the daytime. So that's going to complicate things. Hold that thought for a second. Um, we'll look at one last source on the, the, the timing itself. When is Ne'ilah ideally supposed to be? Source number 10, the Magen Avram. Um, Remember, we said the straightforward reading, way of reading the Shulchan Aruch is that you have to get everything in before sundown. But the Magen Avram says, what does Shkia mean? I thought Shkia meant sundown. The Magen Avram says, sundown, Shkia, doesn't mean sundown, it means Tzais. It means when the stars come out. And the Shulchan Aruch actually agrees with the tour and you should, you should uh, daven uh, Ne'ilah during that twilight period. Um, and he says, he quotes other sources, he says, Now that what people extend the prayer into the night, and by into the night he means past Seisakochavim, even later than twilight, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, you know, protest. The sovereign Kerif and Rush, they hold like the Rif and the Rush, we saw the Rif. The Rif says, that when is Ne'ilah? It's at night. Right? So if you go, if you go later than Tzais, that's also okay. You should start while it's still day before sundown. So we really have a range of views. It needs to all be during the day. It should really ideally be during the night. It's during twilight. A range of views on this. As I just mentioned, it's complicated in contemporary, uh, in contemporary practice by this idea of duchening. Um, so 
the, the uh, Mishnah Brura quotes the Shulchan Aruch that we saw about and he says, well, there's a caveat. Yudukhin, if if it's still daytime, then Yudukhin. If it's already dark, you get in Ne'ila, you get up to the part of Ne'ila, which is all the way at the end of Shemon Esrei, right? The, the, uh, right, right b- uh, before uh, uh, Shalom Rav. Right at the end, it's time to dochen. If it's still light, then then you dochen. If not, you don't. Why? The iskash nesias kapayim lavoda. There's a car- connection between the priestly blessing birchas kolanim and the priestly service in the temple. They have in the base of mikdash. They're kedesiv lisharso levarech bishmo to serve and to to bless. Those are connected. Vavoda um, who accounts as a uh, priestly service. And that's only by day. If you're running out of time, you should skip parts of Shmon Esrei and maybe save them a bit later. Not the proper Shmon Esrei, but the Piyutim, the additional uh, parts of, of that the Chazan adds to Shmon Esrei. Save them later. Make sure you can duchin while it's still daytime. So what this opinion does in practice, if you even if you thought, like the tour or like the Rift, even if you thought that Ne'ilah is supposed to be during twilight or even at night. Even if you thought that, if you're trying to get in duchening before sundown, and duchening is at the end of Ne'ilah, what ends up happening in practice? You end up pushing up the start. You want to finish Ne'ilah basically right around sundown. So in practice, in Israel, in places that they duchen, um, and source number 12, Eliezer Melami, who's a, a major uh, posting, a major decisor, in the Datilu Mi community in Israel, he essentially says to do this, uh, to, to try as much as possible to get up to Duchening before sundown, and maybe you have a few minutes leeway after sundown, but not much, not much leeway beyond that. And I think this is a common practice in many communities. Because you want to get in Duchening, you, you end up pushing up, uh, pushing up your Ne'ila such that the Duchening happens before nightfall. So, in America, generally, the practices start about half an hour before and go until about seis, really following the tour, what we saw in the tour, the twilight, right? And the ila really happens during twilight. Maybe you try, as we saw in the Magen of Ram, to start, and maybe also to start Hazar Sashats, to start the Chazan's repetition a bit before sundown, but then to extend it out until seis. So this year, uh, sundown, Shkia is about 6.30 in these parts. Uh, it'll be about 6.30 on Wednesday night. So... Probably, I'm guessing, in most shuls, the ilah will start 5.30, 6, and the chazan's repetition will start right around a few minutes before 6.30. I'm just guessing. It depends on the shul, but this is at least a, a one standard model, and we'll try to be done by around 7, uh, 7 or so, and then mariv, and then uh, and then people can go and, and get out around breakfast time. That's, I think, what at least some shuls do in America. In Israel, though, it's a, it's a funny thing, because if you want to get up to duchening by whatever the equivalent is of 6.30, but the fast doesn't end for another 40, 45 minutes, so you have, you have not that much, you have like the, the tail end of the ilah and mariv that you want to stretch into 40, 45 minutes. You don't want people finishing the ilah and not being able to eat and sort of just twiddling their thumbs and, you know, growling their stomachs. So what they end up, in many places, what they do is they really extend the end of, they extend the end of davening. So they take, you know, maybe sing a lot of tunes for uh, Shalom Rav, if there are any, I guess there is one, um, and Avinu Malkenu, you sing a different tune for each line of Avinu Malkenu, and uh, you know you do the Hashem Elokim, Shema Yisrael, all that with extra kavana. You really drag it out. Maybe you even have time for a leisurely 
Mariv before the fast ends. So if you're if you take this approach, trying to get in the duchening, that really throws off everything. It really shifts the the whole the whole timing such that it's much earlier. You end up following the opinions in practice, even if not in theory. Then the ilah is a daytime thing rather than a nighttime thing. And again, it's interesting how this is developed. Such that there's really a difference between many Israeli communities and many American communities because of the duchening issue. Um, Right, I, I, uh, I included here uh, a, a tshuva, oh, thank you, a tshuva of uh, Rav Yosef Chaim Sofer, a contemporary posek who also, uh, who, right, who says people, some people want to start an ila early, an hour and a quarter prior to sundown because they want, presumably they want to get in their duchening before, before sundown. And he says that's not the practice, um, you should start much closer, and presumably he's not worried about, about the, uh, the duchening issue. So we've, we've, I think we've uh, seen the, the broad range of sources about when, when Ni'ilah is. And again, there are views that it's during the daytime, there are views that it's during the nighttime. I wanted to focus and think a little bit about this view that Ni'ilah is precisely during twilight. And why would that be the case? Why is Ni'ilah, why is Ni'ilah ideally supposed to be, according to many opinions, according to the way we practice, uh, most shuls, I think, practice in America, that maybe you start a bit before sundown, and you go more or less until until it says, until uh, until the stars come out. You go throughout the period of twilight. I wanted to take a look at a couple of lines from the Elah, from the actual liturgy of the Elah, that relate to this issue as well. So we're on page seven now, and uh, a couple of piyutim. These are are recited by the Chazan and the congregation in response. Safwanu sha'ar, be'es ne'ilas sha'ar, kifanayo. Right, open for us a gate, I mean, this presumably means, let's say, the gate where, through which God receives prayers. Open for us a gate at the time of the closing of gates. The closing of which gates? The heaven, presumably. The sun's going down. Maybe also, you know, if there were a temple around the time of the closing of the temple gates. Ki fanayom. Now, don't look too closely at the translation. That's from our scroll. It's not precise. Ki fanayom literally means... Because the day has passed. It's past tense, and it means past. The day's over. Yom Kippur is over. The gates are closing. The day is over. And still, we're asking God, nevertheless, Psafanushar, open up a gate anyway. Even though, as, as someone suggested before, even though the day of Yom Kippur is essentially over, we want an extra chance. We want a chance to get in an extra prayer. And this is the beginning of Slichos within the Chazar Sashat, within the repetition. We want a, another chance uh, to get in that prayer. But now look at the next line. Hayom yifneh, the day, yifneh, future tense, the day will pass. So the day hasn't passed yet, but a second ago we said the day did pass. Hashemesh yavov yifneh, the sun will go and pass, will go and, and set. Navoa she'arecha, will go enter your gates. Enter God's gates. Again, these are not literal gates. These are the gates of prayer. We'll enter God's gates with prayer with these Slichos. So yet again here, even within this prayer, we see this same tension. Is Yom Kippur over when we're davening, uh, when we're davening Ne'ilah? Is Yom Kippur still ongoing? Is, is it a daytime prayer or is it a nighttime prayer? Is Ne'ilah a time when you can duken because it's still day? Or is Ne'ilah a time that counts for Mara because it's already night? That same tension here again. And also in, in the next source, Prayer of Shari Shamayim Ptah 
says, Shari Yishmayim Psach, Ve'otzarcha Tov Lanu Siftach, open the gates of heaven, give us your, your good bounty, Toshia Ve'rival Timtach Ve'oshienu Elokei Yishenu, save us, don't uh, continue, uh, or don't exact justice, or don't continue the, the litigation, and uh, save us, uh, the God of our salvation. So this idea of opening the gates, we're asking God to basically do something impossible. The gates are locked. It's after closing. Uh, I don't know who's ever gone to a store. At the closing time, they lock the door, they're done, and you, know, you, you plead with them, please, I just, want, I just want to buy one thing. I'll be really quick. It's very important. I really need this. You know, please have mercy on me. Maybe I'm exaggerating a bit. But uh, in the davening context, I think that's, that's a lot of the sense of these prayers. We're asking for, for, for God to do the impossible, as it were. The day is over, and yet we want, uh, we want our last chance to enter those gates despite them having been sealed. And in fact, just to show even more of the tension, uh, source 15, Alei Tamar, it's a commentary, but he points to the, uh, the Mahzor uh, Roma, the Italian practice, the practice in, in Bologna in particular, and he says, he says for the prayer that we saw at the top of the page, Open us for, a, for us a gate. At the time of the closing of the gate, their text says, Terem right? They don't quite have that same, uh, the same drama. It's a bit of a different drama. Open for us the door before you close the gates, right? That's the drama of trying exactly. There's a little, a little opening. You try to, you stick your hand into the elevator as it's closing. Don't, that's not an endorsement. Don't try that. But you want to get that. You just want to get in there before, before it's closed. And they include that at several several points in their prayer. So again, is the day over yet? Is it not? There's this there's this tension. And I think, in many ways, that's precisely the point. Because Ne'ila, it's not just the last chance on the day of Yom Kippur to get in our prayers. That it certainly is. And I think everyone here, uh, everyone who commented before, experienced that in one way uh, or another. Right. That's why there's that that same drama, that that uh, tear evoking. Tension, maybe the uh, a faster pace. People are inspired. People have had a whole Yom Kippur. You want to get in your last, your final, your final thoughts, your final prayers, and offer them to God. And that that is certainly the case. Neila is certainly the end of the day of Yom Kippur, but it's also the beginning of the rest of the year, and that's why it, it happens precisely during twilight. It's after Shkia. And it goes until Tzais. It's during that period that's not quite day anymore. It's, it's sort of day, but it's, it's also sort of night. It's both day and night. It's that transition period. It's the liminal period between Yom Kippur, between the Aseris Yimei and the rest of the year. How long is the year? The year, the Jewish calendar, the year is 354 days. But there's about 10 days of it that really go in both directions. Rosh Hashanah, to Yom Kippur, it's both the end of the previous year, and you get judged for, according to the to the mission, you get judged for everything that happened the previous year. Uh, as we say in Unasana Tokef. But it's a judgment based on the previous year, but looking towards the next year. So the whole period of Aser Simei is a transition, and Ne'ila is the transition from that transition. It's the it's maybe the, the most key, the most essential part of the Aser Simei because it's not just about what you're doing during these 10 days. It's about what you're going to take with you going forward for the next for the rest of the year. And that's why Ne'ila, you know, the, the, the Gemara and the Postgim and the Piyutim, all of the above, they don't really know quite where to place it. 
okay, it's the transition. Does that go at the end of, of Yom Kippur? Or maybe it goes at the beginning of the 11th day of Tishri, or maybe it goes right in the middle. But I think the very fact that this dispute exists shows how the consensus opinion is, it is that transition. Wherever you place it, Ne'ilah is about the transition from uh, the Aseris Mechuvah and the Yom Kippur and that spiritual high and the rest of the year. And if we think about the language we use that was mentioned before, we say, not the chasveinu, we don't say, we, we don't ask God to write us in the Book of Life on Yom Kippur, uh, on Ne'ilah, we ask the chasmenu to seal us into the Book of Life, not just because it's the end, but maybe we're trying to concretize, to crystallize, to seal, to take something from Yom Kippur and bring it with us for the rest of the year. We gave a few different translations for, for Ne'ilah. It means the closing of the gates. Are you closing the gates of heaven through nightfall? Are you closing the gates of the temple, uh, uh, just closing up? But maybe also it's not just about locking down the gates, but it's also about locking in what we've experienced on Yom Kippur and taking that with us the rest of the year. And that, I think, is why Ne'ilah is the quintessential, uh, quintessential prayer that's both an end and the beginning. You're ending Yom Kippur, you're starting the rest of the year, that transition, that spiritual high of the transition between Sarah uh, between Yom Kippur, and the rest of the year, what do you take with you? Your spiritual transformation of one day isn't just, isn't just a one-day or a ten-day phenomenon. It's something that should improve one's spiritual life uh, you know, going forward. And that's the idea of Ne'ilah, to lock it in, to have that, that spiritual high, to connect it. And that's why Rav says, if you have a really good Ne'ilah, if you have an Ne'ilah that starts in Yom Kippur, goes into the next day, it goes into the night, and you, you really have that transformation, you've essentially Davin Marv as well. We don't rule this way. Don't, don't try this in shul. I'm going to get in trouble here. But, but, uh, but Ne'ilah really is, if you Davin Ne'ilah properly, you've also Davin Marv properly, you've moved on from Yom Kippur, taken that spiritual high with you for the rest of the year, I think this is the idea of Ne'ilah as both an end and the beginning. So I'll take questions now for a few minutes. Um, and uh, please. Is, in terms of dating and chronology, is the liturgy responding to the ambiguity in the text? Or is the text responding? Like, what came first? Is it Sakhar Nashar and the Hanyom When was, do we know when that was written? And what, is it trying to encapsulate the halakhic, you know, dispute, or is the halakhic dispute come after these words? All right, that's a great question. I actually did not do the historical research on, on those lines, although I am fairly certain that it follows, at the very least, the Yerushalmi, meaning it, it, chrono, uh, chronologically, it's after the Yerushalmi. And the Yerushalmi already, we saw, we saw a lot of that tension. So my guess would be, uh, and, and it talks about Ne'ilah Shar, that seems to clearly be drawing from, from uh, the Yerushalmi and, and the probably the idea of, of the, the closing of the gate. So I think it's, it's taking its cue from, from the Gemara and, you know, as of all, all the traditions, halachic and liturgical, that follow on the Gemara, they really, they keep that tension there. Really, really a powerful idea. Yes? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, it's, it's a fair point. I don't, I mean, I, uh, it's hard to, you know, I wasn't in the room when Rav said what he said. Um, I think you can read Rav as not 
you know, someone, I, I made the joke about trying to get to the break fast a bit faster. I think you know, that may reflect some of our experiences, but I, I don't think Rob was, was coming from that perspective. I think Rob, again, as you said, the, the thesis would be that Rob is responding to this idea because uh, Ne'ilah isn't just, isn't just another part of Yom Kippur and has nothing to do with the rest of the year. If Ne'ilah really counts as that transition to the rest of the year, you have Davin Marv. It's not that you're getting out of Marv. You did Marv. You Davin Marv. You Davin Marv through this transitional Ne'ilah. And, and you can always add, you know, uh, at least in the time of the Gemara, they could always add Tfilos or Tfilos Nedava, an optional prayer. But you've already Davin Marv. There's no need to Davin Marv twice. So I think, I think your question supports the conclusion. Yes. Thank you. Uh, in response, Shari Shemai Kitab, Those for me, the first bracha of the Arabic service. We say Hashem is And then we refer to the morning, but of course, in our theology, the evening is the beginning of the day. And that's really what we're saying over here. And I think Rav is simply saying that this Nehila fulfills uh, a double, uh, you know, a double load, so to speak. And I said it's a past. I don't know why that, as you were talking, I was thinking about the shoe and about Nah, but I haven't seen this idea. Right, your point before, the shoe walking, the transition. Right. Some of us have said it before. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, I guess we could we could look further and see. Yes. How about the final show for us? Okay, yeah, so that's that's a great question. So the technicality of blowing the shofar, we generally blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah, not Yom Kippur, right? You can't really blow a shofar on Yom Kippur. So the practice is to blow the shofar right immediately after, right? Immediately at Seis. And that, I think, let's say in Israel, where you're trying to get in the duchening before sundown. But the shofar, that's your real cutoff point, right? You, want, you can't really get in too much mar because you want to do the shofar but by the time the day's over, some people are lenient for a slightly earlier time for shofar than for breaking the fast. But you basically have you have that long uh, time period. So yeah, blowing the shofar marks the end of Yom Kippur, the end of the fast, the end of the the whole the day, the end of the ilah as well. So yeah, I think so. For technical reasons, you can't blow the shofar until until it's safe. But according to people like the Marami Rudenberg, who says all of the ilah has to be by day, okay, so you'll have like a, a lag time. You'll wait before you blow the shofar, but. Primarily, the actual Ne'ila is by day, and just there's a technical reason why you do the show for later. Yes? How, did, how is the objection seen on his face that, that you know, seven suffices for 19, and you're dispensing with, with, with the dog? So how, what's the, what's the answer? Um, so, okay, we didn't read that inside, um, but the Gemara said, in terms of the seven for 19, it says that's not a good question. Maybe we're lenient because you're you're fasting. So we give you if you're really hungry, you need to get out. We we're lenient. We we let you uh, cut down on prayer. It says the question about Havdal is a good question. Um, it's not clear the riff who says we seems to say we paskin like Rob. It sounds like theoretically it could count for Mar, although our practice is not to. The riff doesn't address what you would do with Havdalah. I think it's not the end of the world. I mean, just like if you forget Havdalah in Shmon Esrei, you still do it a la coast. You do Havdalah later uh, over a cup of wine. So presumably that would work. Whether or not it would be ideal is, is a fair question, but uh, but the, the riff doesn't seem to take it as a problem. Even though it's an objection, the riff seems to rule like Rob anyway. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious about this. Is Talmud Bavli the only place where it says that Kohanim is four times uh, and most of the Because why don't we do it? 
right? So it's, it's actually in the Yerushalmi as well. So there's a, a much bigger question as to why the practice of duchening is very much limited in, you know, let's say outside of, of, of Israel, following one set of minhagim, the, the sediment hugim of, let's say, Ashkenazim outside of Israel is to, to duchen very irregularly, right? You do it on, basically on Yamim Tovim during Musaf, and that's it. But the original practice before, and it's not exactly clear why this was, was pulled back, because that's the, that's the minhag. The original practice was every day you duchen at Shachris, as they do in Israel, as some Sephardic congregations outside Israel do. And you don't duchen later in the day, because one cannot duchen having drunk a... a uh, some wine, a uh, revius of wine. And especially back then, they didn't have uh, clean water, so the, the main thing that people drank was actually wine. That was the main way of staying hydrated before they had, uh, you know, clean water. And the assumption was, after chakras, you go, you work, you do whatever you do, you've had, you've had a cup of wine. So the Ghanim don't duck in later in the day because they've already, uh, they're shasui, literally means drunk. Probably they weren't actually drunk, but they had some wine. On fast days, though, you're not eating anything, there's no wine, so you can duchen at all the prayers on a fast day. Now, what's interesting is the current practice in, in let's say, Israel, is you, you duchen on Yom Kippur, you duchen uh, at Musaf and at Ne'ilah, but not at Shafras and not at Mincha. And it's not clear why that's that, it's that way. It seems like that's just the, the, the practice evolved, the minog evolved in that direction. So I don't think there are good answers. I looked at this once. It doesn't seem like there are clear answers as to why the practice changed, but it did, and uh, that's why we have this more limited practice. Even the most expansive practice that, that people do in Israel, and then some Spartic congregations do, is, is still limited compared to the Gemara that we saw. Yes? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, I guess the reason, part of the reason why there's such a focus is because there are just so many important ritual obligations. And, uh, you know, but I think there is, I mean, there's a similar literature for some of the issues on Pesach. There's a similar literature for Kiddush every Friday night. I think uh, the general practice is to be more lenient with making you know, early Shabbos. That's not generally seen as a problem. On Pesach, people are generally more stringent. But some of those issues are actually similar. So I think it's just that there are so many different ritual obligations on both Pesach, you know, Haggadah and having Kiddush and having Matzah, etc. And on Yom Kippur, a different set of ritual obligations that you end up having, having uh, uh, similar discussions. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for coming, and a gamachat simat to everybody.